Hello and welcome to another stay at home, don't go to work, but work from home tales from the Ruther Library podcast. Usually we produce our show at the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. But for now, we are like everybody else are in our houses. My name is Dan Galadner and I will be your host today along with the baking and ice cream making guru, Troy Eller English. Hi, Troy. How you doing? Oh, I'm great, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm just fine. We're hanging in there. And I think our dear listeners should know that one of the reasons why I am fine is because I set an empty toilet paper tube out on our front porch. And the toilet paper fairy, who is coincidentally named Dan Galadner, showed up on my porch (laughs) a few days ago bearing a huge case of toilet paper. And it was the good stuff. It wasn't the cheap store brand. So for that, I thank you. Dan Galadner, Toilet Paper Fairy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put that on my face mask when I go out again. I'll put Toilet Paper Fairy on my face mask. I will be sorely disappointed if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad glad to assist your family in any way. And (laughs) I look forward to whatever um, treats you drop on my doorstep um, to feed my hungry teenagers. Listeners, Troy made a beautiful banana bread and gave me some. And before I could even blink, when I got home, they ate half of it. Teenagers <laughs> don't stop eating. It's lovely. <laughs> All right. Anyway, on with the show. Today's podcast, we interviewed Allie Penn, who is pursuing her PhD in history at Wayne State University. And she has worked at the Ruther at many levels, from a page to doing scanning jobs. But also, she's gone out in the world as an intern volunteer during the summer programs when she was an archival student doing many different projects. Now, we're going to talk to her because she helped not only with a grant that the Ruther was a part of, but she expanded her part into a digitizing mapping project, which is really very cool. Um, Allie is going to talk about the Detroit Housewives League. Never heard of them? Neither did I. The Housewives League was an organization formed in the 1930s, starting in Harlem, New York, and quickly spread across the country. And the largest sector was here in Detroit. Basically, the league was led by black women to empower themselves and others on where to shop during the Great Depression. And that was to keep black-owned businesses alive during that crisis in in our country. Their unofficial motto was, why shop where you can't work? So Allie's going to tell us all about that, but also she'll be talking about her cool mapping project. Um, Now, the grant I mentioned, that actually was from the Library of Michigan Library Service and Technology Act. The Ruther, the Detroit Public Library, and the Arab American Museum teamed up to work on this grant to digitize various collections. Uh, The Arab American Museum digitized oral histories with Arab Americans who worked in the car factories in Dearborn. Well, basically what I'm saying is forward. Um, the Ruther Library, we digitized some of our materials from our LGBTQ collections, and the Detroit Public Library had the Detroit Housewives League. These are all online at our respected institution websites. At the Ruther Library, we do have loads of other collections as well, not all online, but we do have things that are related to the Detroit Housewives Leagues, and that's, um, let me think, top of my head, it's the uh, Civil Rights Congress of Michigan and the NAACP. P records. Those will be good starts for you. So why don't you look at those? Then you can contact Kristen Chinnery and ask if any of that material is digitized so you can look at um, this summer. Uh, all right, before we get into this week's episode, I would be remiss not to tell you all about this great website out there that has links to labor radio and labor podcasts. 
Some of the shows are labor histories focused, others are about current news and the unions, and others just are about policy and unions. So check out the Labor Radio Network. That is at www.laborradionetwork.org. They're also on Twitter and they have an Insta. And now on to the show. Hi, Allie. Thanks so much for joining our podcast. Hi, Dan. Um, this is kind of a general question. So what was the Detroit Housewives League? So that's kind of an interesting question. And so I'll tell sort of the broader story is the Housewives League was an organization that was founded in Detroit in the ni- in 1930. And so to sort of set the scene, the Great Depression had just started in 1929. And so Blacks in the city of Detroit were already more at risk to lose their jobs due to racism that existed within the city and within um, industry at that time. And so the Housewives League was an organization that was founded to encourage Black family members, Black communities to shop at Black-owned businesses. And it was sort of a way to promote the community in order to help everyone survive at this troubling time. And their motto was um, to stabilize the economy of the Negro through direct spending. So shopping at these black owned businesses or more informally, um, don't buy where you can't work. And so that was really the goal of the organization is to protect these businesses, but to also create opportunity for um, their families and you know themselves in a lot of ways. Okay, so where did this idea come from? So the idea for the Housewives League, it um, came from Fanny Peck, who was the founder and then president of the Housewives League. And she was actually listening to a um, lecture uh, from the National Negro Business League. And he was talking about the power that housewives can have within their household. And to Fanny, this idea was mind blowing because she knew what her life was like. And the idea that the housewife held this power but didn't know that she held this power and that she could utilize this power to help her community was astonishing. I mean, housewives controlled, at this time, black housewives controlled 85% of the household spending. And especially at this particular moment, um, the housewives themselves were also usually the breadwinner. A lot of um, black women stayed employed during the Great Depression as um, domestic laborers, as as maids and cooks and cleaners, et cetera. And so, you know, not only were they bringing in the money, but they were in control of spending that money. Who would join the, um, the Housewife League? You know, honestly, it was kind of a community-wide organization. I mean, it was really Black housewives throughout the city of Detroit. And actually, you know, when Fanny started the organization in 1930, she gathered together 50 women that she knew. And it went from, you know, in 1930 being 50 women to in 1935, just five years later, being over 10,000 women. Wow. The city of Detroit was so large that um, actually they had to split into 16 neighborhood groups within the Housewives League just so that they could actually, you know, work with as many members as wanted to be a part of the group. Oh, my God. This is like a huge organization. So what kind of activities did they do then? Uh, So they did a lot of different things. I mean, they um, 
sponsored tours of different businesses like the Great Lakes Insurance Company and Old Governor's Coffee Company to sort of give a behind the scenes look to um, shoppers to sort of encourage them to buy goods at these stores. Um, they would go to merchants and request products that were made by African-American businesses like the Parker House Sausage, for example. And if the businesses didn't carry these um, African-American made products, the Housewives League would encourage people to not shop at these merchants. And so it was really incentivizing the merchants to then go and purchase these Black, these black owned businesses, these black owned products in order to get that market, in order to get people to purchase goods from them. Um, they also did things like scholarship essays for students to sort of create opportunities for students to be able to go to college, to be able to go to you know further education. And they also did monthly events to educate homemakers, like um, things on budgeting, things on um, health and um, educating them about, you know, hygiene and public health items, and then um, reusing household goods, because, you know, this was the Great Depression, after all. Mm-hmm. No, this was, like, amazing. They're, they're, they're pulling these boycotts going on during the Depression. They're empowering neighborhoods. Um, these are things that we hear about, you know, throughout the decades, and we never really heard about the um, Detroit Housewives League before. Um, this is really cool. I mean, so they also, how do they get their communications going? Do they have an, a newspaper? Do they use um, flyers? How do they do their PR, basically? Yes, so the Housewives League was fortunate to have um, the Booker T. Washington Trade Association to lean on. Um, the Housewives League is kind of considered the female auxiliary, the female counterpart of the Booker T. Washington Trade Association. And so the Housewives League was able to utilize their publication, The Voice of Negro Business, to you know put in notices about scholarship competitions or um, their homemaker events. But they also did their own you know, um, efforts. They would host just neighborhood meetings at like the local YMCA or church or club and invite people all throughout the community. They also had their own newsletter. So um, they had their ways of staying in communication with each other. Excellent. So, all right, part of this project that you were working on, you created a story map, right? That's correct. Um, And this was based on the advertisements in the Voice of Negro Business? Yeah, so it's hard to say exactly where, you know, I decided to do this. I digitized... um, collections from the Housewives League as part of a grant project I'd worked on. And so when I was in my African-American history and memory class in the fall semester, I thought I want to do something on the Housewives League because as you've pointed out, it's not a very well-known organization. And so I thought, well, let me go look at the collections over at the Detroit Public Library and see what I can find in there. And within you know, just looking through the collection, just sort of going box to box, I found a clipping of the Voice of Negro business. And I was reading it and I was like, well, this is amazing. And so I went up to the archivist and said, do you have the full run of this? Do you have like the full newspaper? And uh, he had to consult like three different of their like um, collection guides because no one had ever pulled the Voice of Negro business before. And Mm -hmm. so he actually found it and then went to pull it and then said no one's ever asked for this before and so I think I was like the first person to look at this in in his memory which is 15 to 20 years and Mm -hmm. so um from there I just was flipping through it and thought you know this would be a great idea because my 
professor was really encouraging us to think of non-traditional projects, like not necessarily, you know, the old fashioned paper, but to think outside of the box. And I liked the story map idea to create something more like accessible. And so, yeah, it went from there to using the advertising, um, the advertisements within the Voice of Negro business to build this map. So what does the map actually show? I mean, we'll have a link in our, our, our webpage uh, to get to it, but you know, just describe what this map's gonna look like and how researchers can use it. Yeah, so actually I'm hoping to move it to a different system because I like story map. It's just, I'm not really telling a, a story like that needs to flip, like that needs to go you know, page to page. And I'm hoping to move it to more where you can click into different businesses if you know their location. Right now, it's it's great because it reflects the trends of, you know, urban renewal and as people, you know, refer to it, Negro removal. And so the map mm -hmm. goes from 1938 to 19, you know, 45, because that's the run of the Voice of Negro business that the Detroit Public Library had. And so it shows these thriving business communities in areas like Paradise Valley and Black Bottom, but also in areas where the current medical center is, or you know where Ford Field is, or Comerica Park, and so right. it it shows these thriving business communities. I mean, in in 1955, African Americans owned and operated more businesses in Detroit than in any other American city, and so mm. the map is like showing these thriving business communities, and then at the same time, it shows you know. It reflects the idea that these businesses and these areas were destroyed for racial bias more than, you know, that they were slums as the government claimed when they were destroying these areas. So you're going to take uh, this project all the way up to about 1960 when 375 was built as well as, what is it? On the other side, it was the, uh, the lodge, wasn't it? Am I correct that they, they built them and destroyed businesses? Yeah, the lodge, and then um, I'm pretty sure it's 375. So actually, what the way Story Map works is that it it pins it on locations that are currently exist. Mm -hmm. And so the way you can see it is like any business that's really on Hastings Street um, is now on the Chrysler Service Drive because that's mm -hmm. what it, Hastings is now is it's the Chrysler Service Drive. And so I've really tried to be true to you know, what was there in the map. And so if it's on the Chrysler service drive, that's its current address. I list in the, in the image with the image and, you know, I say original address, um, you know, like 514 Hastings street. So the people know that just because it shows it's on the Chrysler service drive, it wasn't always on the Chrysler service drive. And I this think that that's really important. That's what I was say. This is so important. That's such a cool project that you're doing. It's so important to histography, basically. It shifts what babies basically a paper into a more visual, right? Is that so you get yeah. more impact, right? Um, all right. What I was referring to earlier was um, I didn't really hear about the Detroit uh, Housewives League until about, you know, a couple of years ago, specifically when you were working on the project. Um, why do you think that is? And do you think there's going to be a change within the study of Detroit uh, away from that male-centric union business thing to more of uh, who was actually running Detroit? You know, women controlling the budgets, women running things, leading strikes and so forth and so on. Do you, do you see a shift there? Um, you know, I think the Housewives League kind of creates an interesting um, opportunity 
um, just because I think that the Housewives League pushes back against sort of the two things that you said. First off, the Housewives League kind of had to exist because Blacks weren't allowed in unions. And I mean, traditionally, the work that the Housewives League did, the sort of boycotting and education activities, would have been taken on by women's auxiliaries of unions. And because, you know, Blacks were kept out of these unions, the Housewives League created these opportunities. And, and then the second point is, like you said, the gender role. And I think that that's something that we're seeing, you know, now is that housewives or like women in general is a growing trend in history because they've always been there. It's just that no one's really focused on them and it's harder to find them within the historical narrative. And so I think that that's part of the reason it hasn't been done is because as someone who studies women's history a lot, it's very um, tiring and exhausting but in the best possible way, because for example, for my master's essay, I wrote on a nurse anesthetist from the University of Michigan. And I dug through like, I would say 50 plus boxes at the Bentley Historical Library. And I maybe found 10 pieces of paper that had her name on it, even though she worked at the University of Michigan for 30 plus years in their hospital mm. system, in their medical school. And I think that this is just something that the Housewives League also represents is it's that you know, people don't necessarily think about what housewives are doing. And I think that the Housewives League specifically doesn't get a lot of attention because they tried really hard to be apolitical. They didn't really want to be, you know, pushing up against politics and they really tried to be anti-religious. While they did meet in churches because that's where a lot of, you know, black community organization happened, they didn't really go out of their way to be a religious organization. They just wanted to be a community organization. You are so right when you say it's very exhausting. I hear that from a lot of researchers doing exactly what you're doing, digging even further down into historical narrative about those that we haven't talked about yet. And they're having a hard time trying to find it. But when they do find those few, you can make a whole paragraph, you make a whole chapter about those few pages. So so that's that's great that you're still pursuing that. I mean, it needs to be, the stories need to be out there. Now, yes, tiring and um, exhausting. So what are the sources you looked at to, to make you so tired, <laughs> you know? Well, I think the um, this project is exciting because it is tiring in that um, there's a lot of great materials out there. And I probably started honestly in one of the worst places because the Booker T. Washington Trade Association and the Housewives League, um, both collections are at the Burton Historical Collection at the Detroit Public Library. But both of these collections have like um, guidebooks or sort of like pamphlets and brochures that contain the different businesses within the organization. Mm -hmm. But I was just obsessed with the newspaper because I wanted to see what businesses were saying about themselves. And a lot of the businesses um, included pictures of the business within their advertisements. And I, and I loved that. And so while I could have started with, you know, a booklet that had, that didn't require me to do as much data entry and, uh, didn't require me to rope my sister into being my research assistant and working on the project with me. Um, this was my favorite place to start just because there was so many there, like there were so many businesses and there was so much data to be entered that it, was just amazing. And like right now the map has, I think maybe 150 businesses in it, but the spreadsheet, like the backlog of data that I have to enter into the map is like, we're up to over 500 businesses. Oh my that's, gosh. 
yeah, that's just how big the project is. And so while it's exhausting and tiring, it's exhausting and tiring in the best possible way because there are so many of these businesses that it's just creating like just such an intricate map of Detroit. And um, I will say, while I, I mentioned Paradise Valley and um, Black Bottom, it's it's not specifically in those neighborhoods. If you were anywhere within the city of Detroit and you were listed in here, you're on the map. Like I'm not focusing on specific neighborhoods. I'm focusing on anything or any business that advertised within the Housewives League. And so I think that that's really important. It is. I, that's why um, I noticed on the map that there was a little cluster on the west side yeah, uh, where the lodge is. So, and it was like, wow, it just surrounds Corktown a little bit over. So yes. Yeah, so you, you're trying to, you're getting a lot of information in this map. Um, is there anywhere uh, people can look at this information online? I mean, I know you worked, you said you mentioned on a digitizing project. Is this stuff online? So the, yeah, the Burton collection has a lot of digital resources. And so if you Googled, I'm not sure what the exact link is, but if you Googled digital collections, Detroit Public Library, you would find it. And they've done a lot of really good work um, digitizing the Housewives League. So a lot of the Housewives League materials and the trade, the Booker T. Washington Trade Association, those materials are all available online and they're accessible. So. See, that's cool. See, this part of this podcast is also to let people know out around there, since researchers are not going into archives anymore or libraries yeah. for now, it's good to know these resources are online, that they can use them to continue with their with their work. So that's cool. Um, Ali, thank you so much for sharing this story and your project with us. I appreciate no it. No Tales from the Ruther Library is a production of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs at Wayne State University, coming to you from the heart of the Cultural Center of Detroit, Michigan. The producers of Tales from the Ruther Library are Dan Glogner and Troy Eller-English. Special assistance from the Ruther Podcast Collective, including Bart Bilmer, Elizabeth Clemens, Megan Courtney, and Paul Neerink. Of course, this podcast could not be done without the research and the support of the entire Ruther Library staff. To learn more about the Ruther Library, or if you have any questions, please visit our website at www.ruther.wayne.edu. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. All right, don't worry about time. we got plenty of time until, you know, we have months. So keep talking, okay? <laughs> okay. I, I'm hoping that we won't be able to hear my child screaming downstairs. Uh, I did not hear anything. Oh, that's good. As far as I can tell, there uh, there's some sort of WWE wrestling smackdown happening downstairs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. And your okay. kids are all still asleep. Uh, I just heard two mumbling about, but they're mostly asleep and passed out, which is <laughs> lovely.